You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, Mountain Bike Radio listeners. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Just Riding Along. I am Ben. I'm the creator of Mountain Bike Radio. I'm just cutting in with two announcements before this episode. One is a reminder to head over to mountainbikeradio.com slash race discounts. We are up to six events. Uh, you can find discounts, anything from 10% to 20% off. Uh, California, events in California, Michigan, Minnesota, and Oregon. So head over to mountainbikeradio.com slash race discounts. That's part of our uh, endurance race calendar. The other one is go over to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR. There you will find two links, membership and a link to our Amazon uh, affiliate link. If you enjoy what you hear and appreciate it, I would encourage you to check out the membership. The other thing, the thing is with the Amazon is it's free to you. All you have to do is click on the link before you go shop on Amazon, and that's it. So bookmark it every time you shop through Amazon. Just go through there, and you're done. Like It's free, easy, and it helps us. That's it. Now on to this episode of Just Riding Along. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by rental car talks that go on too long. And rice jizz. Rice jizz. That shit that spews out of your rice cooker when you're cooking rice. Rice jizz. Mm -mm. A paper towel won't wipe it up. <laughs> All right, so we got an action-packed show today. Uh, first and foremost, thanks to our number one Alabama Rambler, Bass Salt Guzzler, Adam Murphree. Alabama. Oh, yeah, he Roll does tide. like Alabama. Roll Tide. He's, Guzzle Bass Salt. What is it, like Alabama State or something? Is that who he, he's cheers for? I don't know. Something to do with an elephant. Alabama University, Alabama State. Something to do with Alabama this. College. <laughs> There's that an elephant that. that's that illiterate. Key and Peel, a little spiel that they do on like college uh, college sports and the goofy names that people have. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Northwest it. Alabama University College. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he sent in ten dollars. He's the only person that sent money, but we're still grateful for it. So thank you, yes. Adam. Thank you, um, Adam. And. From Adam to every race promoter out there, if you have a bike race, there are two things you must do every single time. And if you're not willing and able to do these two things, you do not deserve to put on a race of any sort. I'm going to add a third. Mark your course. Have water. Have water. My third one is make sure there's bathrooms. Oh, yeah. Bathrooms. Bathrooms. Got to have bathrooms. Water goes in. Water comes out. Yeah. That's or simple. people are going to poop in other people's front yards, and those people are going to be real mad about it. That wasn't the race promoter's fault, though. Yeah, I know. But anyways, um, bathrooms, water, and course markings. As long as it's you know, if you say it's a marked course, if you if you say ahead of time not a marked course, we're going to give you maps and cue sheets. That's well, that's fine. different. Yeah, but if, if it's supposed to be a marked course, then you you actually have to mark the course. Well, if it's not an adventure race, then it's a marked course. I mean, anyways. Yeah. Um, and that's actually what happened to Phil Gaiman this weekend in Rouge, or Perry Roubaix. Um, yeah. I read his write up in Velo News, and the he said, wasn't marked. "No, he said he was chasing back on, and he was in like a convoy of cars, and he got led off course. And later, like a team car saw him, and they were like, where are you going? You're off course.' So he just got in the car. Aww. Like he was gonna just like ride it in, and he well, got he got off course. So um, 
Without further ado, I want to dig right in. Doug R. from the internet says... Oh my gosh, we're not even going to like talk about I don't, stuff? We don't have anything interesting going on. What if Kenny just got like a carbon bike instead of an aluminum one? Nah, that would never happen. Okay, well, let's go then. Questions. Doug, this isn't a question. This is just some spew blab in. Uh, Doug oh, yeah. R. from the internet. Your recent episode where it stated the customers who go to a competing local bike shop should not complain about bad service is asinine. Last year, after many issues with poor service, I took it upon myself to learn maintenance issues with the bike and cutting the dependence on any local bike shop. Many of my fellow riders feel the same way. Ordering the parts online and doing the work myself cuts out any complaining bike technicians would have to tolerate, but also eliminates the need for said bike shop or mechanic. It's no wonder many shops go under. Um, so when did we say that? Uh, so Ben helped me find it. It was during the episode called Bike Shop Rant, actually. It was um, because a customer had walked into my store and like... In no, his- uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. This is going to be really good. Are you going to play it? No, I'm just going to tell people where to go find it. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that was really old. That fork. Uh, oh, no, all that one was was just saying, yeah, that's not talking about complaint. So complaints. here's that, the that difference. That was just saying, don't, don't go into another local bike shop bitching about and, previous. Right. And it was right. the way that we, and what maybe to describe it more. I no, want, if, you're, if your local bike shop sucks. Then don't go there. Yeah. But what I'm trying to, I want to break it down maybe a little more. So, and we're going to go with easy ones. Mike's Bikes sells Cannondale. Can, or Mike's Bikes sells Cervelo, right? Mike's in your, fuck. Mike's sells Specialized. This is getting really complicated. Just listen. We're like like making up fake fake bike shops. Yep, just listen. Mike sells Specialized. Why don't you like make up some bike shop, like some, some bike manufacturers to go along with it? Just shut up. <laughs> Mike's sells specialized. Candy's sells Cannondale. Okay. Candy's. I'm so you go to Candy's bike shop and Candy screws a bunch of shit up for you, right? You probably sh- what we're saying is you shouldn't walk into Mike's. Is that and, like the bike shop stripper name? And just start ripping into Mike about how bad Candy is at working on bikes and yada 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 rah 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 and just like raising hell here's the problem when mike needs a cannondale part he calls candy when candy needs a specialized part she calls mike like all bike shops are sort of interconnected this is what we were getting at yeah it's like you should come into the bike store and the first thing you should do is say i would like you guys to look at this because there's a huge difference if you go in and say, man, fuck Candy's Bike Shop. I'm never going there again. She's just a stupid twat and yada yada. I'm never giving her any of my money again. So here, here's, versus, what you were, here's the way you should explain Versus that. going into Mike's and saying, hey, I've, I've had this in Candy's like four times and they can't get this figured out. Will you give it a shot? Exactly. You're, you don't want to be bashing. How can I put it? Like you can say they haven't fixed it. But don't go in being like, I'm finished with them. Yeah, like, because what you're doing is you need to – you're setting off the radar. Forget about bike shop. Forget about bike shops being good or bad or whatever. You as a customer are setting yourself up for failure because all of those bike shop people that you're bitching at – not bitching at, that you are bitching towards about some other bike shop people – they get turned off because they think that you're a douchebag and that you're the one that was causing the problem to begin with. 
Yeah. That is that's the whole point of that rant. And, so and if what, you go in there, then the problem is if you're the person bitching, more than likely the problem is with you and right. not with that other bike shop. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of shitty bike shops and a lot of shitty mechanics and et cetera, et cetera, and people drop balls all over the place. But <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> but you know if if this bike shop is generally conceived uh considered good and then you come in here saying oh this is the absolute most horrible experience in the entire world you probably were a douchebag at some point in that transaction and they and they probably stopped helping you (laughs) exactly like that's and that is exactly what with this guy we were thinking and or what i was thinking because i dealt with him and yeah and, and you know our our emailer he says Doug says something about competing bike shops. It's like, oh well, yeah, we are competing, but we kind of all hang out together. Yeah, and that's what we even said in the in the bike shop rant episode was competing bike shops are in a mutual fight against chain reaction cycles. Yeah, we're not exactly. competing with one another. There is no Ford versus Chevy, us versus them, like. So and so's speed shop versus Jimmy's speed shop racing at the drag strip this weekend. It's, I mean, I know in Memphis there's only one shop that considers themselves competing with everyone else, and and most people hate them. Yeah. So with all that said, um, Doug, yeah. the common denominator of your problems probably <laughs> you. I don't even care. I'll say it. If you don't, many like of it, your fellow riders feel if the you same don't like way. It, go start your own podcast. Here's the other thing. A ton of people don't have time to fuck with that shit. And they come and see us and we do a great job. Every once in a while you deal with someone that you just can't please and they learn how to turn their barrel adjuster themselves. So, Cole from Texas says, <laughs> Hello all. Just started listening to the podcast and I'm enjoying it. Thanks. A question. Why no love for the small bike companies? I only hear about Trek, Specialized, Pivot, etc. I mean, Pivot's not humongous. Different strokes for different folks, of course, but what I have heard on the topic has been largely disdainful. Now, I can appreciate a good pessimistic rant as much as the next asshole, but I really appreciate the links that some small bike companies will go to make a great product, which in many cases fills important niches in the industry. For example, Surly with the 29 Plus format, which I own and find to be a fun ride for my level of riding, which is admittedly beginner-intermediate. At any rate, enjoying the podcast and listen to it on my weekly commute to Dallas from Austin. Thanks again. Oh, Cole I got a good answer from Texas. And I'm sure you guys are thinking exactly the you same. First, I ladies, just jumped on ladies it. Ladies first. So jumped on it like the last chicken wing on the buffet bar. Oh yeah, I love chicken wings. Uh, anyway, so here's the thing: like consumers, and this goes kind of along with like the people who are like, why don't manufacturers make stuff in the USA anymore. Well, people like 90% of the consumers out there fit the large bike company mold. They want the least expensive product. They want the most stuff for their money. Um, they want, they want all a lot of stuff for a little bit of money, relatively speaking. Um, when you start, in with small bike companies, it's not that small bike companies don't make good stuff. It's just that that stuff doesn't, you don't get as much for what you pay for. Like with Surly, um, for a long time, I don't know if this is still the case because I haven't shopped Surly's in forever. 
you'd pay a certain amount of money and you get like a road bike with bar end shifters. Or you could pay that amount of money and get a road bike with integrated shift and brake levers. Brifters. Yeah. So that's why, like, it's just most people out there don't want small bike company stuff. And there's nothing wrong with small bike companies. Like, if you find that one weird bike that someone makes that is great for you, then that's great. Do it. Like, it's it's probably going to be good. You're just going to pay a little more for it. And that that's, you know, if it if it works for you, that's that's okay. And there's some great small bike companies out there, but you know, we're we're appealing to an audience that for the most part wants to get the most bang for their buck and for the most part the big companies make bikes that are good for those people. That you know, that suits their needs, that fits, you know, what they're looking for. So that's that's what I have to say about that. Kenny, what's your thought? Uh, my, my initial thought is there is there are a few little golden nuggets buried there that are halfway decent, but uh, unfortunately, well, a couple things. One is I can't keep track of all that shit. Yeah, that's I true mean, too. every day someone's like, "Have you seen the Bojangly whatever the fuck model four sixty seven? I'm like, "No, I haven't seen that." <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's so many goddamn bikes and bike companies. I have no freaking idea. You know, I try my best, but, you know, holy crap, there's so many now, which is good. But at the same time, like, holy crap, there's so many of them. Um, so that's why, we, again, we do the least common denominator um, or well, most common denominator, whatever you want right. to phrase that. I mean, we do we do talk about uh, Domahitty, which has now been rebranded to – he actually said uh, also stuff we talked about, like hard to pronounce the name, hard to read it on the frame. He's rebranding to Viral Designs. Um, that's a small company. We like him. We like Steve. We like his bikes. Um, you know, we just happen to like know him and think he's a fun guy to hang out with. So he gets to come on the show every now and then. Yep. So I'll give my two cents on it. Um, Kenny, can you tell me how much a Krampus weighs? Is it thirty-two or thirty-four pounds? It's a lot. But you don't know. Over thirty. Um, it's over thirty. I mean, if you get the whatever the regular the, build is on the Krampus, the one by deal. I wanna. I'm gonna. If I can find this in the next twenty seconds, cool. If I can't, uh. Oh my gosh! Google just like popped that right up. Yeah, that is not true. They say that it weighs twenty nine point four pounds, and I know that's not, that's not true. I know for damn sure that is a thirty even number. It's thirty two or thirty four. It's heavy. Um, the problem is, is you you compare something like a Surly Krampus, which retails for seventeen hundred dollars, and it it's a steel frame, steel fork. It's a, a mechanical brake with a one by ten shifting system that uses a chain guide and not no um, clutch, not, not a clutch a, rear derailleur. Yeah, without a narrow wide chain ring. Um, and you compare that to a Trex. I, I get it. Surly happened first. And that's cool. The Krampus was first. Um, and then the Carver entered the picture. And you still had to build the Carver, so it was way expensive. But now you can get a Trek Stash 5, which is alloy frame. Still has sliding dropout, so you can run it single speed. Stranglehold. Um, yeah, stranglehold dropout. So it's an aluminum frame, carbon fork, through axles front and rear. It uses a race face 
narrow wide crank, uses a clutch screw derailleur, uses hydraulic brakes, and it weighs 27 pounds and a silo is large. And it's $100 cheaper. I can't in good faith tell people to go buy a heavier, more expensive, lower Ooh. quality. Yeah, like poorly specced. And and the thing with this Krampus is the Krampus still isn't the Ogre. And the Ogre is the 29 plus bike that has 1,700 different places to bolt shit to. Like the Krampus still doesn't have, you know, 17. If, if the Krampus had like more places to put stuff, then it would solve something the the stash doesn't. But it's do, it does nothing the stash does except sink faster in a lake. I mean, that's the only <laughs> thing that the Krampus does that the stash doesn't. So when people come to us for this like unbiased advice, it's not that we want to blow track, but um, – I wish, I really, really wish a long time ago the Krampus came out and we had a podcast where I said Trek or Specialized, someone that can make frame, forks, rims, and tires. One of those companies is going to put this bike to shame. They're going to make... I think we've said that before. No, no. I wish I could find the episode and pull it up because a long time ago I called it that one of the big companies that makes frames, forks, wheels, and tires was going to put the Krampus to shame, and that's when it was going to get interesting. And it did. And that's what we tell people. It's not that I don't want people... That was like a Memphis episode. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago. And and that's what it comes down to is like, I can't recommend garbage to people. I mean, I just Not that can't. a Krampus is garbage. It's just that, yeah, you're you're getting less bike for more money. It, exactly. And I'm not calling... That's, that's the wrong way to put it. It's not that it's garbage. But, like, there's nothing on that bike that you would – a different way to put it is every single component on that bike is an upgrade for no bike on the market. Yeah. You know, like, that bike is a bike that needs another 1000 or $1,500 immediately thrown at it. Like, right. from the to factory To make it as floor. good as a stash. Yeah. I mean, the stash comes with tubeless ready tires. In the 29 plus market, it comes with $200 worth of tubeless ready tires. It comes with a true tubeless ready rim. The only surly rim that is rated as tubeless compatible is the my other brother Daryl. So there's nothing on the market in the 29 plus market complete except for the stash, which comes tubeless ready. Tires, rims, ready to go. So again, we yeah. like small companies, but again, like Kenny said, I can't keep up with what Evil is doing with all their full suspension bikes. I just don't. I can't. My head will pop off. So my other viewpoint is I'm really only interested in full suspension bikes. That's just me. So with that said, there's only a few manufacturers that I respect to make a decent full suspension bike. And that's just because me personally, I will not be caught riding anything other than a solid rear triangle bike. Until there's some other technology that comes around that pedals as well as that does, I'm just not going to do it. So I'm going to be on a dual link solid rear triangle design. So that's VPP, uh, CVA, uh, DW link. And there's so, a few others. Niner, Pivot. So exactly. Uh, Santa Cruz, Niner, Pivot. I think Evil actually is a solid rear triangle. There might be. There's a couple other companies yeah. out there, right? But, you know, I only have, let's say, maybe absolute tops eight to ten brands to choose from on that stuff that I would ever ride. And so until other people come along doing that, I'm just not interested. Now, for sure, in the custom market, if you know what you want, then a custom hardtail, I think, makes a lot of sense. So if you've been riding for ten years – and you really know, hey, I've, I've tried all these off-the-shelf bikes, and I just can't quite get it right, and I know exactly what I want, then get it built. That's fine. Like, that's cool. 
you know, get a seven built, get a, you know, 10,000 other brands that or like the dude we talked to the other day, he was going to upgrade like 25 years into the future. And it's like, you should get one of these breadwinners painted like your existing 25 year old bike. And you'll like, like the nostalgia will be there, but the technology will be there too. And you'll just like explode. Yeah. But see, the problem is what I see about a lot of these uh, niche companies is they'll come out with this new bike and they go, wow, look at this new bike that we made. And I'll look at it and I'll go, why the fuck would I ever buy that? Because it's super expensive. It's got some fancy paint job. But other than that, it's just the same as every other bike in the world, except that I have to, you know, hopefully send some guy an email who's going to respond if I ever need support. You know, so it's, uh, it's, that's tough for me. And Especially like, in the hardtail world. If it's not a custom hardtail, um, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, what are you giving me over one of the bigger companies? And that sucks, but that's just the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, I've got the Cisco hardtail. Uh, that it's a Cisco's a small frame builder in uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I've got a road bike and a hardtail, and it's really like they're kind of one ofs. Like the the hardtail is pretty much a between size small and medium Niner Air Nine Carbon made out of titanium with extra bottle cages on it. Like, that's just, I couldn't get that at the time. So I was like, this is what I want. I want a bike with a little bit more reach and uh, an extra water bottle cage on the down tube and on the seat tube. And, you know, everything else should be like an Air 9 Carbon. Small. So it's it's just like a stretched out Air 9 Carbon small, but not quite a medium. And, yeah, I mean, that's what I got. So, you know, it was... I like I like it for that reason. Like I, I was able to get something that was not readily available on the market, but um, you know, like that. Not everybody needs that, right? And I would get, you know, if I got a custom bike built, yeah, I could. I would make something. I know exactly what I want, but I would only do that because what I want isn't readily available, not because I actually need it. Yeah, but if um, you're if you're just say you would if you're in the market for a hardtail. And you want something relatively lightweight, and you're on a little bit of a budget, and you're normally proportioned, and you're not, and you don't need like four water bottle cages or <laughs> other weird shit. Why would you buy some weird niche company's bike when it's more expensive, not as well supported, and it's the same thing, if not worse. I mean, some people just want to be different. And do and that. I, I know, I, and I get that, and that's fine. If people, if people can come out and admit that's why they're doing it, then I'm on board. But most of those people will they, they try to grab these little, <laughs> these little fibers of oh, this bike's better because of this, and I'm like, that's total. I mean, there are companies bullshit. like uh, Advocate that they're doing. You know, they're it's like a charity type company. Um, but, you know, most of them aren't like that. But, you know, we have a customer that has a couple of Fireflies. I don't think there's really anything different about his bikes, but they're fucking dope-ass tie bikes with, like, like his latest bike is a portrait-quality bike. It's, like, all custom, like, they're rainbow anodized tie logos and, like, I mean, it's a super sick bike. But again, like that's just, you know, something different. Like Evil's first run of bikes, every one of them exploded within like three hours of riding. 
and the dude put himself deep into debt ordering another whole run as warranty bikes. Like he scrapped the entire first run of bikes just to order more warranty bikes. And, you know, this is a bike that has 14 pivot bearings. Yeah, that is a lot so, of pivot bearings. You know, that's why we do it. Like, and again, there's nothing wrong with your Surly. But if someone's coming from a 2006 Rock Hopper and they want to get a nice bike for $2,000, I have to tell them to buy a 1x10 Crave with a Reba over buying a Krampus that weighs, you know, six or eight pounds more and has no suspension and mechanical brakes and a smaller drivetrain range and is, you know, a harder bike to deal with over course of ownership. Like, the surly customer is the tinker customer. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just any you know whether people like it or not, it's just how it is, and it's an economies of scale thing. These bigger companies can build it for less, and they're pretty damn good at doing what they're doing. They kind of know these price points to hit. They kind of know the customer. They kind of know you know things like hey, they people probably want tubeless wheels in a fifteen hundred dollar hardtail, right? So they they know these things. They're not dumb, and they build a pretty good bike. Um, and yeah, I mean they don't suck at it. And most all of them build a pretty good bike. You know, we they might didn't be, get humongous by building shit bikes. Yeah, you know, you know at, at times we might be partial to Trek or Specialized or whoever. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, most of those big manufacturers make a very similar bike, and they're all pretty damn good. Yep. And the the other thing to the the last pitch for the big company because I actually really like. I just got a new bike from a really big company. It rides really well. And they, Trek was able to do the R&D on my new Amanda road bike because they sold, I'm going to throw out just an arbitrary number, you know, 3,000 Trek 7.2 FXs last year, you know, which is a, which is a bike that has zero technology. Like the Trek 7 series, the FX series. The hybrid, basically. Yeah, they're like, hybrid bikes. don't know bikes. what that is. It's a hybrid um, like just well, they're they're fitness bikes, so they don't have suspension forks or anything. Mm-hmm. Like they're rigid. Thirty-five C tires, just hybrid. Yeah, yeah, they're designed by like the intern. Well, no, that's <laughs> the thing. They were designed ten years ago, and nothing's going to change on that bike ever. Right. Five years from now, they'll they'll all go disc, you know. But they just keep pumping out that bike, and I don't mean that in a negative way. They don't have to spend any money to produce that bicycle. So then. Every dollar they make from that bicycle, half goes in the Burke family pocket, half goes to the engineering department. Half goes in the Burke family pocket, the other half goes to the engineering department. And then they can come up with something like the new Dumane that has a flexible head tube or, you know, making every road bike that they sell have tubeless ready wheels. That like, head shock, though. You know, that that's the thing. Like, evil doesn't sell enough bikes to make technology. Surly's never going to make a bike that's not out of steel. Because Surly's owned by QBP, and the Surly customer feeds into the Salsa customer. And then the Salsa customer is given the option of aluminum, carbon, or tie. So you're never going to see a lot of that. Like, sure, I'm, I'm sure that the Surly money goes into Salsa. I'm, I'm, in some way, I'm sure that that happens. But the economy of scale is you're not selling, you're not, no one's just slinging Krampuses. People are slinging FXs. All day. Yeah, just we, like, we sell like multiples of those a day. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then we have like a one month, like the back to school month of the year. We sell like 
as many FXs as we do in like the rest of the summer during one month. You pretty much sell everyone you can put together and put someone's name on. I mean, so I hate to say it, but like this is, this is like the, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Like the technology gap is just going to keep growing in bikes for that reason. So I don't know. I, I don't know. It's not, uh, it's just, it sucks, but that's the way that it is. If I see a niche bike that it's I think that is truly like good, companies. that really has... all those some, other reasons we just I, I, gave I, I, you. He's talking. Sorry. <laughs> so I was putting those, Indy back in bed. If one of those niche companies has a competitive advantage and they really do have a really good design, then yeah, we'll talk about it. That's fine. But, you know, if they're just going to crank out some generic hardtail, I'm just, I'm just not interested. You know, and the other... Like maybe one more thing on this is like when I look at my Cannondale, it's it's really clean, right? Like it it looks good. When I look at like a Ridley or a Boone or any cross bike, it looks good. Like the frame and the fork, they all fit together. Go to Spot's website and look at their bike. It very much looks like here's a fork, here's a frame, and you put them together. And it looks like an aftermarket for color match to the bike. Like, you know, their bike doesn't even look like it's, it, it looks like Ray Charles built the fork <laughs> with his feet. Dude. That's that actually, bad. that's a line that I stole from. That was so bad. From that show we were talking about before we started. Oh What's God. it called? Um, Roadkill. I'm going to go to bed. Uh, so, like, that's just. The big companies do a really good job of making really good bikes that look really good. If anyone rage quits this episode tonight, it's going to be me. All right, so Seth from North Carolina. Hey, gang. I want to, just, I want to get, get the gang's thoughts on chain guides. I have a 2015. Just because we're from Memphis doesn't mean we're in gangs, okay? I have a 2015 Stump Jumper FSR that I have set up 1x10. I have an X9 derailleur with a clutch, a race face neurowide, 32-tooth chain ring up front, and I added a wolf tooth extender cog. Lately, I've been dropping the chain a lot. I have read that this is that this tends to happen more when you are riding difficult terrain. I'm from Brevard, North Carolina, and ride in Pisgah most of the time. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions on chain guides that help this problem? There are many options to pick from, and some include a lower skid plate. An example of what I'm looking for is the MRP G3 chain guide. By the way, long-time listener, really appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Seth from NC. I think his bike's falling apart, like his pivots are falling apart or something. I know you said that's not possible, but that that would be like, given his setup, as long as the derailleur is not worn out and the chainring is not worn out, that just that stuff shouldn't happen. So there's something else wrong that's not the drivetrain. Yeah, so I've got three pieces of advice. One is make sure your bike in all other aspects, if it's a full suspension. What did he say it was? Uh, Stump jumper FSR. Yeah. Okay, so it could all be completely janked out and it has like ridiculous amounts of lateral movement under load or something i don't know just throwing that out there it's possible that's what andrea was getting at uh number two is make sure that rear derailleur the clutch actually works properly because it's SRAM and it's probably broken so uh (laughs) the third one is um get rid of that race face front ring they suck uh put a wolf tooth or some other brand on there um i tried the i ran a race face when i got my race face crank because it came with it and I dropped a bunch of chains with it. And I put a wolf tooth on it, and I haven't dropped one since. Huh. Ain't that some shit. So something about the profile, it's definitely different if you put them side by side. 
Um, and it's subtle, but apparently it's enough to make a difference. That race face one, I just, it was okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't a humongous problem, but like I said, I put that wolf tooth on and I don't, I can't, I don't think I've ever dropped a chain with it. Yeah. And first, I've run, I've run a 28 tooth, a 30 and a 32. Um, and I was dropping all my, uh, all my chains on a 32 race face. So more teeth, more engagement. It should hold it even better. I went all the way down to a 28 and uh, raged down some downhills with it, and I never had an issue uh, on a wolf tooth, that is. Yeah, I, I would say, like, first, make sure all your pivot bolts are tight. Make sure your frame isn't broken. Um, make sure nothing is worn out. So, you know, your your teeth should look relatively new on your chain. Um, your derailleur shouldn't have a lot of, like, side-to-side play in it. As long as nothing's worn out, nothing's broken. Yeah, like Kenny said, maybe a different brand of chain ring would be good. I would, yeah, I would put it all on worn out ring. I'm finding that people are wearing, especially in somewhere like uh, Pisgah, you're probably parked in your 3242 so often that all of your narrow teeth are worn off. So... All narrow wide chain rings, the narrow tooth will have a smooth outer edge and then the top of the tooth is chamfered. And what I've seen is when that cha- like from when the tip to the base loses that chamfer and it's worn enough that it's like smooth from tip to base, the chain ring's worn out, it's probably gonna make a little noise. It's definitely gonna be way more likely to drop chains. Dean J from the internet. Hey, oh, I got one, I got one more. Oh. I got one more thing. Um, if you go raging downhill in some crazy cross-chain position, you're more likely to drop your chain then. Yeah. Oh, like crest the hill and don't go ahead and start shifting, but like just go down it in like the 32-36. Yeah, so you're going up the hill in like 32-50 or whatever special (laughs) ring he's got on that thing. (laughs) And then you decide to rage down the other side at two miles an hour um, cross-chain, then yeah, it'll probably pop off. I would say um, a 30, I don't know how fast dude is, um, how strong he is, whatever. Um I know that at Pisgah, I did enough riding there to know that it's got some really fucking steep shit and, like, technical shit. Try a 30. You're going to get a better chain line for more often than if you have a 32. Unless you're just riding it on the road all the time. I, I get that. If you're if you're always, like, gravel grinding and stuff, that might be a little low for you. But if you're mostly single track riding, um, go when you replace that chain ring, get a 30. Just try that. Uh, try that out. See if it improves your chain line and improves your lifespan of your chain ring. Um, because, yeah, that's – I think that's – okay. Let's keep going. And if you were a member of Mountain Bike Radio, you could use a discount code to get a discount on a wolf tooth chain ring. Dean J from the internet. Hey, guys. Uh, hey. I also love the French fry incident. I'm still riding three by – he drive says French great incident. It's French fry incident. There's a lot of typos in this. Cut Dean a break. I okay. have a feeling he was hammered on Colt 45 when he sent this email. <laughs> I, I'm still riding a three-by drivetrain on a 20. I'm still riding a three-by drivetrain on a 2012 camber. It's all pretty clapped out, and I'm starting to think about maybe doing GX11 on there. Is that possible? What would I need to do that? I still need to make this bike last a couple more years if I can. (laughs) Um, So first question, I mean, I wouldn't put, I would never ride the cheapest SRAM stuff possible. Yeah, yeah. The cheapest SRAM stuff is just, it's cheap. 
Yeah. Um, if you do XT, you can probably find a shop that'll sell it to you and install it for around $500. I will say that the new 1x11 cheap SRAM stuff is better, and this is not saying very much. But remember, like the old stuff that was still actually kind of expensive, like but X, like X, X7, X7. X7 yeah. and below was like a dumpster fire. It was <laughs> so bad. Oh, Kenny out of the blue with <laughs> the dumpster fire. Bringing the heat. Can we make that the name of this episode, Ben? Please. Yeah. The dumpster, dumpster fire. Dumpster fire. <laughs> X7 dumpster fire. <laughs> but with that said, the entry level 11 speed stuff is a little bit better than that. So that's nice. And you do have access to the Strambulance. So, yes, that is um, true. If you're riding old 3 by stuff and you put on new one by stuff and you're the dean that I think you are from like the Midwest, you're probably going to have a good time. Yeah, you're going to need to make sure your wheel can use an XD driver. No, body. it won't. GX is, is – that's the thing of GX. They have a new 1142 cassette, oh. this GX, that fits on regular free hubs. How did I not even know that? You just didn't pay attention to Bike Rumor that day. I didn't. I don't look at Bike Rumor except on like Monday evenings before the show. Second question. Should I peel out the orange latex from my tire before adding new sealant or leave it? Peek out. He wants to peek it out. Uh, no. Um, it doesn't really matter. I, I would like, if I got bored, I would peel it out because it was just kind of cool. Like to have that layer of orange, orange seal skin around just to like flick at somebody. That's about it though. I mean, if you're worried about the weight then yeah, peel it out. If you're not, what the, sorry, BP's BP stuff over here. What are you doing? Are you checking batteries? There's stuff in the garage blowing up. Don't worry about it. Is okay, that is that the fire alarm? No, no, it's not. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's only a small fire in the garage. I'll put that in a second. Oh, oh yeah, on a, on a total uh, random note, on the light rail trains in Denver, there's a Totino's pizza roll ad that says something about like bake beef, the letter B. The number four slash 20. Like, cook your pizza rolls before you get high. Oh, okay. Yeah, like they have... Well, the joke is, for those of you out there, 420 is like April 20th is the official day that you should smoke all of your ganja. 420 is the time of day you should smoke ganja if you smoke ganja every day. And if you're going to smoke ganja... And eat pizza rolls. They're recommending that you cook your pizza rolls before you smoke your ganja. So your pizza rolls are fully cooked and cooling off while you go outside and get high. Yeah, I did almost set a house on fire once. Heating up oil and then going outside and smoking pot and forgetting that I was heating oil on high inside. (laughs) (laughs) That's not one of my prouder moments. (laughs) I I don't have anything for that. I don't, I don't think, it, yeah, I don't have anything. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you're just, if you feel like peeling it out, then peel then it out. Then get really high first and pick at your tire. Get, I yeah, don't know. Get, just get real high and peel that orange seal out. But I'm glad you're using orange seal because that's my favorite sealant. Oh, I heard the best thing at work the other day. <sighs> what? Stands. It'll show you where the holes are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Landon from Kansas City. Hi. Hi, Landon. 
Hi. I have a stock 2009 Specialized Stump Jumper FSR. This is just like the stumpy or the Specialized episode. I have a stock. It's like all of our listeners buy bikes from large bike companies. Yep. Um, FSR Expert 29, 9-speed with X, uh, Shimano XT Holotech 2 crankset. At the local Kansas City trails, I only use the middle 32-tooth ring. Can, can I convert it to a 1x9? Of course. I was thinking of using the race face narrow-wide 32-tooth ring, possibly with a bash guard. Sure. Since my rear derailleur is clutchless, will it cause problems? Is Maybe. this, if this is possible, would I need shorter bolts, spacers, or both? Um, so if you use the bash guard, you won't need shorter bolts. That's number. So one. My recommendation is just to not do it because <laughs> nine speed does not have clutch derailleurs, and nine speed has a more limited range on the cassette. Ooh. So I would vote no. But the I mean, crank, if you always use the, the crank, will do it just fine. Oh, what? Oh, oh, what? If I were putting a new, uh, so as Kenny already said, use a wolf tooth ring. If you're going to put on a new ring, you should put on a new chain. If you're putting on a new ring and chain, you should put on a new cassette, right? If you're buying a ring, chain, and cassette, you, you could get that shifter. You could buy ten speed, so you could get a ten speed SLX shifter. Or a 10-speed Dior shifter and a 10-speed SLX mid-cage or long-cage rear derailleur with a clutch and go ahead all the way to 10-speed when you make this upgrade, like it's going to cost you about $150 more than doing it the right way when you replace your chain, cassette, and ring only. But you're going to have 10-speed with a clutch and it's going to work great. Um, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, I mean, if, Move. if you really... If you're not going to do like Matt said, sure, you can use a narrow wide. And I even like, I had a cross bike that I made one by and I didn't have a clutch rear derailleur. And that was cyclocross. Like chains fucking fall off during cyclocross because it's bumpy as shit and you're on a rigid bike. And yeah, I, I'd never dropped a chain off of it. I mean, I always, it, I was pretty, um, pretty wise about it like i didn't have the chain like super cross chain going into any fast bumpy sections um but you know um i mean it's it's not you're not gonna die or anything but yeah like what matt said would be better the the last thing is if you do stay with nine speed run a 10 speed chain that's what Wolf Tooth recommends. They don't recommend trying to use a nine-speed chain on their stuff. It's not tight enough on the ring, and it'll yeah, drop off. Yeah, ten-speed chains will work pretty much fine on any nine-speed cassette anyway. Yep. Mason from Phoenix, Arizona. First off, thanks, guys, for the great show. I look forward to a new episode every week, and you keep me entertained on my drive to work. Yada, How yada, many yada. fucking questions do we have? A fuck ton. How Jeez. many do we have after this? Um, At least... Oh my god. One more. This one's we're gonna make this one super quick. Okay. It's not we're, a we're quick all, it's like a No, full we're all going to do it text. and we're going to give one bike no explanation and move on. We've talked about this bike a million times. I'm in the market to get a new bike before I go back to school and I'm broke. I have around twenty five hundred dollars to spend. I've been toying with the idea of building up a hardtail twenty nine er with a hundred and twenty to hundred and thirty millimeter fork. And Shimano 1x11 or 2x10 drivetrain, I want to go with a steel frame or something similar, uh, like a raggly big wig or something similar, open to other ideas. How capable can a hardtail be? 
I ride trails in Arizona. While some of what I ride is rocky and moderately technical, I'm not that great a rider. I don't see myself having the McNuggets to venture anything too sketchy. Uh, I want an all-around trail bike. I'm six foot tall, 200 pounds. I'm currently riding a four-inch travel 26er that has a rock shock dart, three by nine, and weighs 34 pounds. What should I keep in mind? And do y'all have suggestions? Thanks in advance. On a last night a few weeks ago, I ran across a gaggle of young kids riding a local trail. One of them had a BMX lid with an MBR sticker slapped across the front. It's cool to see the reach and influence you guys have. Keep up the good work, Mason. So obviously, because you ride BMX, you influence that kid. I do. Whatever bike you get is going to make your dick blow off with awesomeness. I'm just saying. If you ride a 26 4-inch travel dart, oh my god. Whatever modern hardtail you get is going to be just fucking amazing. I don't even know what a raggly big weight is. That sounds like the bike that I made up earlier in the show. It does, really. Like... So Matt kind of like said this question to me earlier and I immediately said like get the crave whatever get a get a, a decent like a, a nice alloy frame and build and put some nicer wheels on it. Like a crave with I nine wheels. That would be so freaking awesome to this guy. Like, yeah, do Well, that. and here's the real big problem. This is a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier. Again, going to try to make this really quick. The frame weight on an 18-inch frame is 6.5 pounds. My Crave frame in 19 is 5.5 pounds, and it has an eccentric bottom bracket. This bike doesn't have anything that will make you... doesn't have any any single-speedable capabilities. Also, you said you're flat broke. This bike has a five-year warranty. Specialized Crave is going to have a lifetime warranty. So, I mean... You're going to end up spending a bunch more money for a bike that weighs more, costs more. He could get like a $1,700 Crave and just replace the wheels with something super nice. Yeah, and look, it doesn't doesn't have to be a Crave. Like you can get – there's nothing wrong with the Crave. Get whatever is available to you. So if you have a local bike shop or whatever, it doesn't matter. But find one of these mainstream bikes and you're going to be really happy with it. Yeah, find like a nice alloy bike. Yeah, my pitch would be, you know, like a Santa Cruz highball. Same thing. Lifetime warranty, single speedable. Um, you know, probably not they can't quite it's gonna be let's say a hundred or two hundred dollars cheaper to get that specialized with the same build, just because economies of scale. Uh, just like we talked about earlier. But same thing. Get that get a highball and put ball and ass wheels on it, or get a crave and put ball and ass wheels on it. Get a trek whatever and put Yeah, like the super fly alloy. So the other thing about it that's weird is he said he wanted a 120 to 130 mil fork, but why? So there's nothing wrong with those. I just asked the question because when I think 120 to 130 mil bike, I think slacker head tube angle. Uh, so is that something that you really want, or do you just see a bigger fork as being somehow better? So there's, there's, two, there's two kind of different things. I have a lot of dudes come in, and, and a lot of dudes have dude mentality of, oh, well, Man, I saw this downhill bike in this magazine. That's fucking awesome. I want that. It looked it looked rad. Can I put a Fox Forty on my hardtail? I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> you know, it's it would no. ride like it would ride like a clown bike. Um, you know, and some people don't understand that. So, my question to you is: Do you do you really want a slack bike, or do you like the idea of a fork because it's longer? You know, I'm I'm being dead, I'm being dead serious. 
because a lot of people don't think that all the way through. They go, oh, well, yeah, if I have a 130 mil fork, then I can, like, jump bigger shit. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, there's just uh, – I, I just – I don't like the longer travel hardtail stuff. I just really don't. So that's why I asked the question. Yep, and that's that's totally legit because at 120, I'm I'm definitely flirting with the on my on my crave at 120. I'm definitely flirting in the edge of how does it pedal uphill, how does it go downhill, and I'm like, you know, probably the perfect travel would be like a 110 fork, honestly. Like that would be if I had to like that would be the compromise. But so because I'm just really convinced with. A bike that is a hardtail, so you want it to be efficient, so it should probably climb well, and you want it to actually be able to turn into corners and do all these other things. I'm sorry, but 100 to 120 mil is about all you'd ever want on the front of that bike. I don't care what anybody says. That's just, and you start putting a longer fork on that, even if you have a proper head tube to accommodate it, like that you built a super, you started, imagine you started life with a 73 degree head tube angle bike that made that was made for a hundred mil fork and that miraculously when you put this long fork on that your bottom bracket's still in the right height and all that stuff but what i'm getting at is you actually even if you built a bike truly around a 130 or 140 mil fork and there are some hardtails out there like that yeah but a lot of them are still really slack but if you even had one that ended up at the end of the day 140 mil travel hardtail with the proper height bottom bracket and it had a 70 degree head tube angle i still don't really think you'd want to ride it for a lot of reasons one being that even if it was all correct and it handled well and it turned in on flat like a normal bike should, you if you bottom that fork out, then your bottom bracket's like touching the ground. <laughs> so there's a reason why that 100 mil fork works very well on a cross-country bike. There's a whole That's lot nice. of reasons. And a lot of people want to be different. They go, oh, well, those are all 100 mil bikes. I don't want that. I'm going to put a 130 on mine. And... All I'm I've, saying I've is test ridden those bikes. They ride terribly. I know. I fucking hate them. They make me so angry. And <laughs> oh, it's God. like that Krampus we rode that had the 650 bar and 140 fork. Remember oh, that bike? God. Yeah. Oh God, whose was that? We will not name names. We will not name names. But anyway, just think it through. That's all I'm. All I'm asking of this person is truly. Have a little sit-down talk with yourself and go. What do I really want? Do I want to be? Do I want to look cool or do something different, or do I want my bike to actually ride good? Mm, I'm all about that ride good. <laughs> so let's keep going. Sorry, everyone. From the evening, you probably shouldn't build a raggly big wig. You should probably stick with a bike from the big three. Get the bang for your buck. Put a nicer wheel set on it. Yada yada yada, and you don't even have to put a stands. You don't have to put i nine wheels on it. You could put stands wheels with a dropper seat post on it, and that would still be a really fun bike. So, but i nine wheels are awesome. Doesn't matter. I mean, from stock to stands, still getting a big upgrade at two hundred pounds. Replacing stock wheels with a pair of Archie X's or Flowy X's going to be a big upgrade for the bike that helps it last longer for his long term ownership of the bike. Eric from Schnedacty, New York. Schenectady. Schenectady. Schenectady? I think it's Schenectady. I don't know. It, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool name. Uh, hey, J.R.A. Crew. I live and ride in the Northeast, typically East Coast techie XC stuff, but I also have some rather smooth XC stuff around as well. They aren't extended climbs or descents, and I really don't do all-day riding. 
I bought a super cheap leftover 2014 Anthem X-29er Model 3 last fall on a whim and working to replace the crappy bits. I put on a new Marzocchi 320 LCR for cheap, a 70mm stem, XT 1x10 with a race face narrow wide, SLX crank and brakes. I don't like the stock wheels, but the budget only goes so far. I should have put a Reba on it as I don't haven't been a big fan of the Marzocchi so far, but it will do. I'm hoping to make it 120 soon. I like the overall feel of the bike and how efficient it is, but I feel like that efficiency is robbing me of squish. I run close to 35 to 40% of sag in the rear Monarch and have yet to bottom it out. Normally amount around an eighth inch of shock travel remaining. I'm not hucking to flat, but I feel like I'm pounding it pretty hard. Otherwise, common sense says decrease air pressure to increase travel use, but 50% sag is stupid. Is this a side effect of an XC race-centric frame, or is there something else I'm missing? When I ride with groups around here, a lot of people on the technical trails are on more aggressive bikes. You see Bronsons and Reins, but Trances, Fuels, Stumpies are quite common. We just built my, a Rip 9 which be, for my wife, which became way too expensive, way too quickly, but it ended up being awesome, really fits what I like to ride. Funny how that works out. Is it worth continuing to tweak my Anthem to make it more trailworthy, or just sell it all and get something more proper? Sell it. Eric, you just made me read for 25 or however long seconds. When you already know, you should stop riding that shitty bike and buy a good bike. <laughs> and you you reinforced what happens when you get a Rip Nine, which is not a Niner's not a huge. They're they're a bigger company. An established. They're an established company. They're not as big as the. They they have a the market share in the area of bike you want to buy. Is a way to put it. Yeah, yeah, and but. When you like buy a frame from a slightly smaller company and you start building it, that the price gets way too expensive. Wait, so, I thought he, I thought that you were talking about a giant anthem. Yeah, his he was, wife but has he a just, rip nine. He says we built we just built a rip nine for my wife, which became way too expensive, way too quick. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about his. Uh, okay, never mind. But it's awesome and really fits what I like to ride. Well, I mean, I hope it fits what your wife likes to ride. Um, I mean, it sounds like he should get a Rip 9. Sell that shit and get a Rip 9. Rip 9s are, are good bikes. I mean, I, I like I like Niner bikes. I think they ride really well. I think it kind of sucks they just opened a factory store in Fort Collins. I hope no I hope no shops in Fort Collins actually sell... Uh, what just happened? Oh, God. Skype's making noises. Oh, no. Oh, Kenny just died. Oh, my God. We killed Kenny. So we're back. Uh, Andrew is explaining how you're going to have problems if you buy a cheap bike and try to make your cheap bike into a really nice bike by spending a bunch of money over a long period of time. It's still going to be a cheap bike when you're all said and done. Yeah, we, we've always kind of like maintained that. Like when you are buying a mountain bike to actually use on, you know, off-road terrain, uh, at a minimum get tubeless wheels and a decent fork because those are the two big things that are super expensive to to upgrade versus getting like the next bike up in the run of models that you're looking at. Is Kenny there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. You you shouldn't you shouldn't have even spent money on that bike. Just sell it, cut your losses, get something else. You're, yeah. 
Done. Is that it? Are we done? I think we're done. We're all done. D U N done. Kenny's internet is done. <laughs> Was that your internet that just broke? I think so. Okay. I mean, it could it could have been Skype. But I don't know. Whatever. No telling. Yeah. Um. Well, do we have any new shit that we hate? Oh, I read an article about that new RockShox metric standard, and it actually is intriguing, and I'm not angry about it. I don't understand why it means anything's going to be different. For those of you that don't know, let me describe something to you. If it's measured in inches and you want to convert it to centimeters. Oh, no, that's not that's not exactly what they're talking about. What is it going to do then? So they're taking the current shock standard. You, you didn't read the article that I posted on Twitter the other day. Yeah, they're going to start making stuff that has a metric eye-to-eye and a metric stroke length. Right, and they're also making the shock hardware metric. So instead of like 80 different bolts that can hold shocks together, it's going to be like 8 or 18 or something. Like they're, they're basically, they're taking lots and lots and lots of different variables in eye-to-eye, stroke length, and shock hardware. And they're condensing it into something simpler um, while they are using that as an, an excuse to like kind of revamp um, like eyelet positions and things to uh, create kind of newly sh- shaped or newly designed shocks. Yeah, my understanding is they're just getting rid of some of the older standards that were holding them back sizing-wise. Right. They're really like simplifying stuff. And my take on that is, I bet you money, they are going to make a shock that fits your bike for a couple more years. Yeah, they will. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. Shut up. Stop worrying about it. I don't know why everyone's good. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it's, that it's something to worry about. I'm saying it's nice that... A new standard has been developed to simplify things rather than to just add on to what's already there. That's the problem with the bike industry. If there's a hole, you're going to get a company like Yeti that says, well, I'm going to make this in-house that goes through this hole so I can put this thing through that hole that I want to put through the hole and the size that I want to put through the hole. And then you're still going to have to go directly to that bike company and pray to God that they have the little small part that you need to put your bike back together. It's not going to fucking fix anything. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's just not. No, I don't really think it's necessarily, but it's just it's just progress and, you know, some people are going to get upset about it and some people aren't, but I mean, the way I look at it is you need to every once in a while you need to step back and look at the bike and you need to go, "How can we make this better?" If people just would quit bitching and moaning for a second, from an engineering standpoint, how can we make this thing better and stronger and lighter or whatever the hell it might be? And I want people to do that. And we've talked about this before on the show. It, yes, it does suck when your old standard goes away. But at the same time, if it's going to make it better, then it's going to make it better. You know, just like wider wider rear hubs. That's a, It's a good thing. We got more cogs. Stuff gets narrower. Spoke angles get shitty. Like, you should try to improve that, right? And we do. And then everybody bitches about it. Um, yeah, so. and I, I think this, like... I, I was thinking like the same thing that just like, oh, so now instead of saying stuff in inches, they're going to say it in, you know, centimeters and millimeters. It's like, well, that's not, that's not all. 
Like they're, it's just getting, it's like they're just, like I said, they're condensing a lot of stuff with this. And I, and I, and I like that idea. I like the idea of making fewer things that you have to sort through as a mechanic, like headsets, fucking headsets, like fuck headsets. Like there's just too, there's too much shit. Like every bike could have the same exact headset and no one would know the difference, but instead there's like a bunch of different ones and different angles and sizes and just, just screw it. Like I, I hate that shit. Like I like the idea of condensing stuff and simplifying it. I called a bike company with the serial number of a bike and still got the wrong headset for it. Exactly. Boom. It's never going to get simpler. I stand by that. <laughs> that's all I have. All right. So that's new shit that I don't hate that Matt hates. That it's Kenny- not that I hate it. It's just it it's smoking. Sounds like you hate no, it. it's not that I hate it. It's just it's not going to make things simpler. It can't. You're still going to have a hole that you still have to put something through. Companies are still going to make their own special shit to put through that hole. It's still going to be a pain in the dick. I mean, if anything, it does make it more complicated because now there's all the old standards, which you oh, still yeah. have to support. That's and now there's new standards, which you have to support, which is which is sucks. Now, the it makes it easier <clears throat> way, way down the road. It's going to make it simpler for Rock Shocks and Foxes of the world because they – Eventually, we'll only have to manufacture you know a few different kind of shocks instead of nine thousand. Right. So that's that's what they're doing. It right. I mean, <laughs> of course they want to consolidate things. They want to make more money. Right. Right. But we're talking way down the road. I want to put a date on it. I'm talking twenty twenty eight down the road. I mean, if a customer came in with an eight-year-old bike and you told them there's not a shock that exists to fit your bike, they would go bananas. So it's going to be at least eight to ten years before responsibly the industry can abandon what they've been doing. Right. Kenny, what do you, like, so if you if you opened up that drawer that used to have every size square taper bottom bracket in it, does it still have every size square taper bottom bracket in it? Yeah, I mean, I'm big about having everything. Okay. So, I was just wondering shots. because, like, we we don't have that, and it doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal because I don't replace as many of those as I used to. No, don't get me wrong; that we really don't replace as many of those as we used to. And but I still have, you know, if it gets used even once a year, twice a year, I'm probably going to have it. Yeah, that's nice. So I've got a lot. I mean, I've got. Oh, I'm just ballparking here. Bottom brackets of all types in one store, I probably have 40, 40 different bottom brackets. There's some conversion ones. There's your regular press fits. There's your, you know, all your modern stuff and your road, your road and mountain Shimano. You got your road and mountain SRAM thread in. And then you've got every square taper and octolink pretty much ever built. So it might even be 50 plus. Jesus. It's a lot of fucking bottom brackets. All right. Well, that was a bad question to ask you. But all right. Well, we should. We well, should. no, it's not a bad question. It just goes to show you there's a lot of shit out there. It's crazy. To put it in perspective, because I just moved this stuff around at work the other day. I have a 24 inch deep, 43 inch wide, 5 inch tall, 
drawer, slap full of bottom brackets plus back stock, and I still don't have everything that customers need. That's like a lot of stock area for just a bottom bracket. So, yeah, bummer. Yeah, you know. So not, I mean, yeah, cool. We hate everything. Yeah. (laughs) All right, thanks for listening to us answer a bunch of questions shittily and then moan about eye-to-eye standards. (laughs) I didn't moan about it. I did.